And I'm back. <laughs> Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, I get to see you quite a bit today. Hey, uh, it, it's better though. It's better than last week. Last week, uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, I was not here. You got to, even if you showed up here, you got to watch me online. So, um, you know, that's always kind of an exciting thing, but it's good to know that we can do that. Uh, I love to be able to do that, um, that where we don't really have to miss out because we have a lot more options. And so thank you to BJ and uh, a lot that he poured into making that happen as well, as well as the team and as well as you guys just for being here and being the church um, week after week. You guys ready? Oh, come on. Come on. This is God's word we're going to be getting into, so that's always a powerful time. Um, this morning, we, uh, so last week we got into John 15. Uh, many of you guys know John 15, and John 15 is a beloved chapter. It talks about the vine and the branches and our relationship with Jesus, and this idea of abiding in him. And so we, we talked about that. Jesus is, uh, in John 15, he's talking about this powerful pairing that God desires for us to have in our lives that comes as a result of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that, that starting point is so essential to us. I cannot overemphasize it. Relationship with Jesus Christ, we know, is not about going to church. It's not about being a good person. It's not about knowing certain stories and knowing certain facts or aligning with certain... Knowing Jesus Christ is a relationship that we have with him. It is a personal relationship invitation that God extended to us in him. Amen? And when we respond to that, our lives change. And that is a work of God, but it is this powerful pairing that God made available to us, and Jesus said it would change our lives, and he also said it would fill us with joy, with joy, that it would be overflowing. Well, in the midst of chapter 15, he mentions something else in there as well, because along with the, the joy and this, this talk about this pairing, this joining together with Christ, he also talks about another kind of pairing. This time, not P-A-I-R-I-N-G, not pairing, but P-A-R-I-N-G, which is a little rougher, right? It's the trimming away, this, this pruning that he does in our lives. So let's stand together. We're going to listen to his words from John 15, verse 1 and 2. These are the first two verses of this chapter. And you'll remember them from last week, but he says, this is Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine keeper. He's the farmer. He's the one that's, that's making this whole thing happen, tending to this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. Now, one note I wanna make on this that I want us to see, he says, every branch in me. This is not talking about salvation or whether you're gonna be cut off from Christ and thrown into the fire. That's not about what this is. This is about the life that we live in Christ and whether it's worthwhile or not, okay? So this is a word to those of us who know Jesus already. This is a word about the life that he is calling us to and the opportunity that he has invited us into in this life. And we love the things that Jesus adds to our life, don't we? We love the peace. We love the sense of his presence. We love the way he protects us and he provides for us, but we don't always do so well with the way that he prunes us, right? The way he pairs away. Sometimes the way that he digs and we go, ah, why'd that have to go, right? I think I liked that. 
But we need to know that that is part of the ministry that he has in our life, that he, he not only adds, but he also, there are things that need to be removed to make, sh- to make room for the things that he's wanting to add. And the hardest part of that is that often, not just often, all the time, he invites us to be a part of that process. He doesn't just come in at night and while we're sleeping, he kind of takes a whack and you know these extra branches, he doesn't, he says, no, I want you to be in on it. I want you to be consciously, mindfully agreeing with what I'm doing here. I wanna bring you to the point that you understand what's going on and that you are literally assenting to what I'm doing. So today's message, last week we talked about abiding, today we're going to be talking about releasing, amen? Let's pray. Father, um, your work in our life is good. It's all good. In fact, the things that we don't think are so good are good. That's why you're doing them. I always think of Psalm 23 where it talks about we go through these valleys of the shadow of death, the deepest darkness that we can imagine, and we go, God, what are we doing here? And you remind us that you are the good shepherd, and you would not lead us through that valley if it wasn't the only way to get us to the the green pastures and the still waters the goodness that you're leading us towards. So everything you do is good. And even when we're in that darkness, it says that it is your, it's your rod, your staff, your, your provision, your protection, your, you're able to reach us, all of that that is reminding us that we don't need to fear because you are good. And so, Father, this morning we pray that as we... we are looking into this word and as we are opening our hearts and our ears, I mean, there's some resistance when you talk about trimming and clipping and cutting some things away. God, there's resistance that rises up in us as if we have a right to say the pot to the potter saying, what what are you making here? You said, you gotta trust me because what I do is good. So Father, I pray that that resistance would, would... would just fade away in us. We would, we would, <laughs> we would call it down. <laughs> that guard dog of protectionism, that we would realize that we don't need to use that against you. It rises up so quick in this world because there's so many that are looking to get something from us and to rob us of something to take, to, to steal, to destroy, to ruin, but not you. So Father, I pray that this place would be a place of safety, a place of sanctuary, a place of being able to rest in your goodness and to just hear your good word so that we might see the things that you are trying to do in our lives for our good and to make us more like Jesus. So Father, be here this morning, speak to our hearts, let our eyes and our ears and our our hearts be open to hear you, to understand and to walk with you in all that you're doing. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray this by the power of your spirit. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I don't know if you have, uh, over the course of your life, you have found this to be true, but I've found that we human beings are very fearful creatures, right? We constantly, things rise up. There are some that say that it's because we, um, 
it probably came about because we lived too long with big and dangerous animals, you know, and we had to be a little careful about that. And we think of lions and tigers and bears, but you go back even farther than that, you go into prehistory and you talk about these huge, I mean, these huge cave lions and these massive saber-toothed tigers and these bears that make grizzlies look like teddy bears, right? I mean, so we've lived way too long with threats out there and they say that's probably why we're so scared all the time. And those kind of fears make sense, don't they? You look out, you see a threat. So something with big teeth and a huge animal, that makes sense to be afraid of it. It it makes sense to be afraid of large drops that if you fall off the edge, you might might die. Or things that are swinging around wildly that might hit you. And and, um, so those kind of fears are are important. You know, they're survival kind of fears. But some of our most paralyzing fears aren't those external fears. Some of the most paralyzing fears are actually the fears that we have inside. And so we talked about last week about the fear that many of us carry that we're gonna reach the end of our life and we're gonna find ourselves to be utterly alone, right? I mean, that's a fear. It's not out there. It's not driven by anything outside of us. In fact, we're constantly surrounded by people. We're probably not gonna be alone, but that's not the alone we're talking about. We have this internal fear. We have another internal fear that we're gonna look at today um, that... We're, I think many of us are afraid that we're gonna to get to the end of our lives and we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, you know, I don't think I've accomplished anything worthwhile in my life. Nothing of purpose, nothing of impact, no outcome that has any value. And it terrifies us. Now, this fear is, it doesn't get the early start that the loneliness fear gets, right? As soon as we're born, we're babies and we're looking, we're going, Who, who's gonna be with me, right? And, and that's with us from the beginning and it's constant. This one, this one kind of builds over time, but man, it builds up, doesn't it, right? It starts showing itself right around like the end of high school, early college, where you're starting to look and you're saying, what am I gonna do with my life? And is it gonna be worthwhile, right? And so it's kind of slinking in the shadows at that point. But then it starts stepping out in the light as we go and we try and find a career or we try and find a job or we try and find that person we're gonna spend our life with or we start raising a family and we go, man, is this even meaningful? Is anything I'm doing meaningful at all? And it kind of starts raising its ugly head and then, then it really gets going in this thing that's called midlife and who knows when that hits. I think it hits anywhere from you know, 20, late 20s to maybe mid 60s. It just, and it, I don't think it just hits once, it just pounds you. You know, for a while. And this thing called midlife, where all of a sudden, maybe it's that the kids aren't around, so they can't distract you as much anymore. Or maybe it's that your job starts taking a dip and it's not as exciting anymore. And so you're starting to wonder, you know, was this worthwhile? Or maybe, maybe it's just that you're, you're looking around and you're, you're, you're seeing that um, you have more time. And so you start reflecting on your life. And all of a sudden, you start seeing people, they're buying stuff they don't need, right? Or, and they're starting to change stuff that's not going to change anything. Or they start, They start trying to make transformations in their lives in a matter of weeks, things that took decades to put into place, right? And they're just trying to make radical changes. Why? Because they're driven by this fear that they're gonna get to the end of their life and they're not gonna have anything worthwhile that has come of it. And it terrifies us. And it's one of those internal fears. In John 15, Jesus is talking about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that he's talking about is he says that we can have a life that is meaningful, that's purposeful, and that's filled with joy. And that's important. He says it's filled with joy. In in verse 11 of chapter 15, he says, I have spoken these things to you so that you might have the same joy in you that I have in me. 
and that your joy might be made full. And you guys, joy is not a trivial thing. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not just this passing thing. Joy is only present when there's this true, deep satisfaction, not just about the present, but about the future. It is a contentment that joy springs out of. So happiness has to do with the moment. It has to do with your circumstances. It can be there one moment and gone the next because it's just in that moment. And many of us chase after happiness as if it's joy. We try and make moment after moment after moment significant. And God says, that's not, you can't even do that because it is so fleeting and so passing and it crashes so easily. But he says, you can have a life of joy Joy instead is this lasting sense of well-being and contentment. As you look out and it's about the present, it's about the future. It's about just the satisfaction that your life not just has meaning, it has meaning, it has purpose, it has impact. What you are doing matters. And so it seems that when Jesus promises joy here, he's addressing this fear that we have. Am I going to get to the end of my life and find out that it, it had any purpose whatsoever? So he says, so what, what does he have to say? What does he have to say that he can promise that we can know this life of meaning and this life of joy? Well, one of the first things he wants us to know, he says, I need you to know how committed God is to making sure that you get to the end of your life and you know that you've had a meaningful life. God's committed to this process. God is the one that made you desire to have meaning. God is the one who has promised that he has given us the possibility, the invitation into a life of meaning. Now, Jesus in John 15, he's using this metaphor of a grapevine. So he refers to this this purposefulness, this meaningfulness as fruitfulness, because that's what vines do. They produce fruit. And so he says in verse eight, he says, this is what brings glory to my father. This is what my father gets jazzed about. This is what he is committed to, is that you bear much fruit. Just like a farmer would go out to a vine and say, the one thing I would like to see happen in this vine is for it to bear fruit. And it's not the farmer's will. That's what the vine's all about. The the vine is all about producing fruit. And he says, I I have made this, this life that you live so that you might produce much fruit. And so... I love this part. Prove to be those who have learned from me. This is Jesus talking. Prove to be those who have learned how to live the same kind of life I have learned how to live. A life of meaning and a life of joy. You know, when you're in a dry and arid kind of a a region like the the Middle East and uh, grapes and figs, fruit and stuff like that, it's not just for snacks. We think of those as snacks and as healthy snacks, right? So you can have either your candy bars or you can have grapes and figs, right? Um, in, in that area, it, it wasn't trivial. It wasn't extra. Those were essential. That's, that's how you kept hydrated during the day because it's a very dry place. There's not a lot of water. You don't have wells you know, on every corner. You don't just turn on a tap and get a glass of water. And so you'd carry around this fruit So what he's saying by saying that he wants your life to be fruitful, he doesn't want your life to just be kind of trivially abundant, right? He doesn't doesn't want your life to just be one of those those things that just kind of, um, that you have a lot going on, but nothing of purpose. He wants it to be full of purpose and full of meaning. And so God has said that he wants us to to learn how to have this, this life of 
where we produce things that bring refreshment to people, bring life to people. In the same way that Jesus, when he lived his life, he brought life to us. He didn't just make, he's not just like an add-on. That's like, well, it's good to have Jesus in case I don't like the other snacks, right? Is <laughs> Jesus is essential to our lives. And he says, I want that to be what comes from your life because that's what brings a life of meaning. And it's not just temporarily a meaning. It's not just to bring happiness to other people. It's to bring eternity to other people through the fruit that he produces out of our lives. And so, so what's that fruit that he's talking about? You know, what are those things that we produce in our lives that can actually bring eternal significance and refreshment and joy to people? Well, one of the things that the Bible talks about when it talks about fruit, it talks about the fruit of our lips. You say, well, what does that have to do with? Well, when we worship, when we praise, when we um, give testimony of what God has done, when we give witness of who God is, those words, when they are they are empowered by his spirit, when they are brought forth by what he is doing in us, the authentic kind of communication of what God is doing in us, the very life that he's working in us, they open up heaven for people to see. They are refreshing to their lives because then they begin to see the goodness of God. And they begin to experience, oh, that God that you have found to be true He's there for me too. It, it opens it up. It becomes this, this life-giving word to people. He says those are the words that he wants to produce out of our lips. Another set of, of fruit that the Bible talks about is in Galatians 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is actually the very character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When people see the Holy Spirit working those things, not our best attempt at love, joy, peace, peace, right? But the reality of God's character being worked in us and the very, the very fruit of heaven being worked out in us, when people see the goodness of God come through us, they don't care that it came through us. They taste God. They taste his kindness and his grace, and his power, and they are refreshed, and they are given life in the midst of a desert. Miracles are fruit that God can work. When we pray, and God responds and does the impossible, the heavens open up, and people go, oh, okay. Heaven is brought to bear here in this earth, and people go, oh, so there's more. And they were refreshed because they are reminded. What are they reminded of? They're reminded of one, they're not alone. Two, there's a God out there, and not only is he out there, but he loves us. And three, they are reminded of something they may not have even known, of who they are called to be, of what they were made to be. As the very people who bear the image of God and called to be his children. And of course, when someone's eyes are opened by the grace and the power 
of the Holy Spirit as he works or speaks through us in some way that they come to see that, you know what, I can be. They see this invitation of God. I can be this child of God. I have been invited into this forgiveness. I have been invited into this life. When they see that and they make that step, they receive that, that invitation and they become Jesus. They become God's they become Jesus's kind of fruit as well, his, and, and God's child forever. That's eternal fruit. That's when someone is ultimately kind of, instead of trying to seek the, the fruit of others, it's this, it says like a river springs up in them, and they become this source of life for others as well. And that's the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. That's the eternal fruit. But this is where we get to the crux of this message that Jesus is talking about because he says, and literally the crux, because crux is it's a word that means cross. And we know that in this relationship with Jesus that there are things that he adds, but he also has things that he asks us to bring to the cross and just put them down. Put them to death, let them go, let them die. Because why? Because as a branch on this, on this vine, they become these little sprigs and these little sprouts and these little growth things that they may look wonderful to us and we may even love them, but they're sapping all the strength from that vine, from that branch to actually produce the fruit of eternity. They get in the way of it. We say, what are those things? What are those distractions? I want you to think about the opposite of what we just talked about. You have the words that bring life in the same way. We have the power of life and death in the tongue. And if you choose not to go with life and you choose to go with death, the words that we speak can be like that, those twigs that just kind of spring up out and they keep us from ever bearing the fruit of God, the eternal fruit that people are hoping for. Because instead of using our words for praise and for testimony and for witness of Jesus, we use them instead for things like gossip or slander or division or destruction of other people. And remember, this is talking to those, those who are in Christ. This is not branches that are out on some other vine. These are the branches that are on the vine of Christ. He's saying, what does it take to live a, a meaningful life that you will get to the end and you'll say, you know, I have an impact. I have, I, have, I have a meaning. My life has been full of meaning and full of fruit. And he says, you need to cut these branches off. These little shoots, these little things that are robbing you from the words that could be used to reveal heaven to people. Instead, you're using them for destruction, for little petty things on earth. So those have to go. Just like the character of God is talked about in Galatians 5, there are characteristics that are not of God that sometimes instead of living out of these, we choose to live out of these other things. In Galatians 5, it lists those as well. It talks about instead of love, joy, peace, instead of the fruit of the spirit, you have these things like sexual immorality. You go, well, what is sexual immorality? That seems to be a uh, discussion our world seems to be trying to have right now. Well, sexual immorality as God's defining it, right? And why does it have to be that? Because we're clueless in this world. If we don't have God defining things for us, we're making it up. I'm sorry, but we're making it up. And we're finding out how much we're making up right now in our world as we try and Go off of some of these things. And, and you guys, that's a whole topic I don't want to dive into completely. But we got to know at its base, it's about how God defines it. We have to have his word that we stand on. It says uh, impurity. 
What's impurity? Um, abandonment to your own desires. Seeking to manipulate spiritual power for your own ends. It talks about sorcery and we say, well, I'm not conjuring spells. Anytime we try to get God to do what we want to do instead of us aligning to what God wants to do in our lives, we're, we're becoming sorcerers. We're becoming witches. We're trying to manipulate spiritual power for our own ends. He says that's against us, not the character of God. Fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, addictions, drunkenness, looking for trouble, unforgiveness, hatred of others, prejudice, all of these things, right? They keep us from living out the character of God instead, this other character. And just as miracles are, are, these, are only possible through the power of God, there are acts that we do as well that are not, have, that have nothing to do with the spirit of God in our lives. They may be even be great things, but any time that you are pursuing a position or a, a, or a um, or power somehow, and you're, you're pursuing it for, for accolades that you're going to receive out of your own pride, out of your own uh, fear or emptiness, that's not of God. Anytime you take the power and the position that God has given you, he's put you in a place of influence and you use it to manipulate or to get your own ends, that's not of God. Anytime we're doing stuff that serves ourselves and not serving others and serving him, it tends to not be of God. No, under, no one under the, spirit, under the Spirit's power abandons their responsibilities, abandons their, the, the um, people or the, the responsibilities that they have taken in order to just kind of say, oh, I'm too tired, I'm, I, or I just am lazy, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. That's a big one now. Is, and so others, let others clean up my mess. Let others take up those things. Let others deal with the stuff I do in life. Anytime we do that, that's not of God. He says it's about self-control. It's about, it's about faithfulness. It's about kindness and goodness to others. So these are the things. Those are the shoots and sprouts. And you guys, we are all filled with them, aren't we? That's the thing about a branch and a vine. You'll find this constantly shooting out these little sprouts. Constantly. And we do all the time. And God's just saying, you know what? But as a, as a vine keeper, I am there and I'm going to be pruning those from you. So how does that happen? Well, last week we saw that if we're going to P-A-I-R, pair with Jesus, connect with him, it has to do with the word and the spirit. And what's interesting is that the word and the spirit, he says he wants them to come and take, he wants us to make room for them to make their home in us, Right? But I, I told you, if they make their home in us, they're going to want to do some remodeling. And, and that's what he's talking about here. Because this is where the word and the spirit, in the same way, the word and the spirit have filled us and they give us this, this, this um, solid place to stand and a solid understanding. But God's spirit starts using the word to start highlighting these things that he says, you know, this needs to go. And he starts giving us this insight so that not only you know, these words that we're speaking or these acts that we're doing or this character that we are, we are living out of, not only um, are these things, does he think they need to go, but the spirit uses the word to start changing our mind and changing our perceptions so that we start seeing them as needing to go. We start coming into agreement with God and thinking his thoughts after him 
and seeing things from his perspective, even within our own life. Because none of us would prune these things off of ourselves. None of us would take any of this if it was up to us to figure it out. So it's by his word and his spirit, he brings us into this place of alignment so that we can come into agreement with God and say, you know what, these need to go. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess in the Greek that the, the verse was originally written in, it means literally to say the same thing as. If we can look at something in our life and say the same thing as God says about it, yeah, this is wrong, it gotta go. Then it says he will forgive it. He will, he will get rid of it. And he says, and he will cleanse. Now, what's funny about that word, cleanse, that word is the same word that's used for pruning in John 15, cleansing. He will cleanse us of all the things that are getting in the way of righteousness, of meaning, of purpose, of joy, of a life worth living. He will cleanse us from all those things. You guys, our freedom... Our life, our joy, it's not found as this world would like us to believe in finding separation and getting rid of God and his interference. That's what brings us into bondage. When we try and get clear of God and just live in our own kind of definitions and our own world and our own, what we come up with is what's going to make us happy because that's the problem. We chase happiness and it crashes every other second. He says, no, your freedom, our freedom is found when we are paired, joined to Jesus. And then we let him begin to pair away at the brokenness and the things that are getting in the way of us actually having the life that he designed us for. He meant for us for a fruitful life, eternally fruitful life with contentment and joy. So how, do, how can we do this? Again, I'm gonna reiterate some things I said last week. How do we do this? Get into God's word. It's the word and the spirit, so get into the word, right? Soak in it, and don't avoid those parts of the word that you don't like. They seem to speak to things that you, you're like, yeah, I don't want to get rid of that. I like that. Lean into it. Let the word make its home in you. Second, listen for the comforting and convicting voice of the spirit. When the Spirit convicts, he doesn't convict to condemn. When the Spirit convicts, he convicts to give us insight so that we might have the wisdom to know how to agree with God for confession. So lean into the voice of the Spirit as he uses the word to both build you up and to add, but also to prune away. And third, Learn how to stand in agreement with God. Learn how to live a life of confession, saying the same thing as God. God's not going to prune this branch of your life. It's not like you're gonna you know, turn your head and just say, you do your thing, right? He's going to ask you to be an active part in this. He's going to be asking you to release these things to his work to his work of to bring these things and lay them at the cross to meet Jesus at this place so that he can bring you out of this life where you just you're you're a branch full of twigs and you look all full and abundant and but it, it, there's no fruit coming from that 
and bring you into a life that's actually meaningful and a life that he not only has intended for you, but that he is committed to, that he seeks after on your behalf. Amen? We have a good God, don't we?